Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is episode 33 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, we're talking about lesson planning for music teachers. Welcome, beautiful teachers. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about curriculum, how to set your curriculum for your studio, how to plan what you want your students to know and to achieve and to be able to play in a broad sense. Today, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty, down into the lesson planning weeds. Before we do that, I just want to make sure that you have set your curriculum because lesson planning really means nothing if there's no purpose behind it. You can plan each lesson as you go, but I believe you'll always end up feeling a bit flustered, a bit like you don't know what you should do and what you shouldn't do if you haven't stepped back and set your curriculum or your goals or your intentions, whatever you want to call it. If you haven't looked at the big picture, then working through lesson plan after lesson plan starts to feel disjointed and like you don't know where you're going. So I want to encourage you to go back to the episode from last week and the week before, all about setting your music teaching curriculum. This is episode 33, so that would be 32 and 31. And you can always get to the show notes for these episodes, by the way, by going to vibrantmusicteaching.com and the episode number. So for example, vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 33 would be today's show notes. 32 would be last week. And last week, we talked about two different methods of setting your curriculum, the goals method and the fill in the gaps method. If you listened last week and didn't do one of those exercises, I really recommend that you give it a go. Set aside an hour or so um, with a big cup of coffee and maybe even some sweet treats or maybe a glass of wine. And just think about what you want to achieve for your students, what you want to do in your studio. Those two different ways of working through it will give you a great starting point. And if you're interested in more on lesson planning, by the way, today, if you're listening to this podcast as it goes live, then today and tomorrow are the last two days of the curriculum kickoff. There's just two days left. You will be able to catch the replays of the first three days if you sign up. So you'll need to sign up for that fairly sharpish at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash kickoff. Okay, but let's assume you have set your curriculum, you know where your students are going and how you want them to get there and at what pace. 
Well, then you need to think about actually week to week, what are we going to do? What's the lesson going to involve? Some things are a given and some things aren't. If you're working through a particular method book, generally part of the lesson will be sort of planned out for you in a sense. But a really great teacher thinks about what's coming up and what we're doing at the moment, thinks about the big picture and plans extra activities or reinforcement or just little ways to preempt things in micro little comments you make. It can make a massive difference. So let's go through a few different ways that you might like to start lesson planning because I know, I know that this can seem like something that's not practical for music teachers. And it can also just be something that's hard to fit into our weeks, right? So don't make it some big detailed strategy that you would hand in to a college professor um, if you were taking a course on pedagogy. If you make them that detailed, if you do too much, it will be unsustainable. I want to give you four different ways that I like for lesson planning that maybe you can try out. If there's some of these ideas that you haven't tried before, try them. If you've tried some before and they kind of worked but weren't quite right, tweak them. The first way is to do time-based lesson plans. So what I mean by this is you actually lay out the in five-minute increments is my favorite way to do it, the actual time you'll spend in the lesson. So 1 p.m., 5 past 1, 10 past 1, etc for the duration. So you have these five minute blocks. I like to do this in a Google Sheet or in Excel so you naturally have those blocks laid out for you, but you can do it on paper if you prefer. If you're doing a time-based lesson plan, you're going to want to fill in those blocks with what's going to happen and be realistic. It is impossible to learn three new pieces in five minutes. It won't happen. So there's no point putting that in there. I prefer, I have done time-based lesson plans for one-on-one lessons, and I do think it's a useful process to go through, so definitely try it for a period. I don't think it's sustainable in the long run because I think it's too detailed. What I do still like time-based lesson plans for, though, is group lessons. This is still how I structure my group workshop because otherwise it's very hard for me to get a sense of 90 minutes. That's quite a long time. And I need to change activities pretty, pretty often, actually, in a group setting because I need to keep everyone's attention. And quite quickly, sorry, I will give a caveat here. This wouldn't be as true if you are teaching leveled groups. Like if you have all late beginner students in a group who are all age nine, that'll be different. I'm talking about my group lessons that I do where I allow multiple levels of students to come along. And I find I need to change activities quite quickly and plan for that so that when an activity gets boring for one student because they're too far ahead and one student because they're too far behind it, we've already changed. So it doesn't get to that stage where it's boring, but that can happen in when you have a wide span of ages and levels. Anyway, so that's why one of the reasons why I like time-based lesson plans for group lessons The other reason is they're simple to glance at. In a group lesson, I have very little time. In any lesson, I have very little time for reading. But in a group lesson especially, I need to be able to just glance at it and go, oh yeah, that was the plan. And I really need to be on the ball when I'm running these workshops. So I like that it's laid out and I actually lay it out with the times, as I said. So 1 p.m. or whatever time it starts. 
so I can click quickly glance at it on my watch and know where I am, know whether I need to stretch something out or cut it down or move on. And I would just have simple notes beside each of those about what we're doing. So it might just say, boom whackers, one each, something like that. It might be very vague if you were to look at it, but that's my at a glance kind of lesson plan for a group workshop. And then I would have more detailed plans or it would be in another, it would be in the notes for another activity I have or whatever that I know what it is and I can't go over that. But I have that at a glance plan for during the actual workshop. So that's one way to do it. Like I say, more useful for me for workshops. Still useful though as an exercise to do to figure out where you are spending your lesson time. And this reminds me of running a business in general, right? And planning your own time. It's super useful to go through and see how you're spending your time, whether it's in a lesson or in your day in general, but you wouldn't want to be doing it each and every week. The next way to do it is using categories. This is a way Tim Topham actually advocates in his, uh, he calls it the three keys to a comprehensive lesson plan. And I've done something similar in the past as well, where I pick broad categories or topics that I want to cover each and every week. And then I decide what we're doing under those headings. So for example, I decide that for this student, every week we want to do some improv, every week we want to do some note reading work, Every week we want to do whatever, sight reading, doesn't matter. You make your categories and then each week you decide under those. So I know I've hit all of these subtopics, right? And working this way does help you to feel, especially if you feel like things just get away from you and like you don't know how to fit all of this stuff in. You need to set out these categories so that you can prioritize. I want to fit in these specific things and then you can cut it down by the way so we're talking about prioritizing doesn't count as a priority if you include everything so it really should like tim uses three things i'd say three or four is the max you can have for these categories and once you have something in each of those categories you feel like you've given them a more well-rounded education like you're covering enough topics So that's one more way to do it. So far, we've covered time-based and category-based. The next way to do it would be to do some kind of a mind map or, you know, like the bubbles. If you've not heard of a mind map, I'm sure most people have, but where you draw like a circle in the middle and then you draw branches off from that. Okay. And I think this has a lot to do with what Paul Harris talks about in his simultaneous learning approach. So Paul Harris is a wonderful teacher and writer from the UK, if you're not familiar with him. And he advocates simultaneous learning, meaning that everything comes together. It's not about scales being in one box and pieces being another and theory being in another. It should all be connected all of the time. This is not easy to plan. I'm not going to lie and tell you that it is. And if you listen to Paul Harris talk about it, I don't think he ever says that it's easy but it is great teaching. If you can plan everything to link up together so that you think about what piece is coming up from your student and you take out that scale and that rhythm element and you do things with those, you work from the material and it all connects together, I think that's a great way to go. And a mind map is what makes this the most accessible to me. 
So you start with the thing you want to teach. It could be something from a piece. It could be just that you feel your student should be better with semi-quavers, whatever. You put that in the center and then you look at different ways, sort of related to the categories, different ways you can cover that element in all the different parts of your lesson. So that's one way. The last way I'm going to share with you, I've had three so far, so time-based, category-based, and mind maps or simultaneous learning. The last way I suggest, I really suggest everyone try this. This is the way I work through my lessons week to week. Now I have longer term plans, I have goals, I have parent um, update reports that set out those kinds of goals and talk in a more general way, plan in a more general way. But week to week, what I do is I assign in advance. And I have a blog post about this, so I'll link to it in the show notes. Again, they're at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 33. I have a blog post about this, about how I do this assigning in advance process. So what I do is I write, <laughs> write out the assignment sheet in advance. It's exactly what it sounds like. I create all of my students' assignment sheets at the start of the week for the next week. I write them on the computer. You write them by hand if you prefer. I like doing them on the computer because I also have a copy then. And I print them out and that's ready to go into my students' practice folder. So I might write out the pieces they're going to be doing, the scales, and whatever else, whatever game I'm assigning to them, or theory pages, or improv activities, or arrangement, composition work, whatever is going to be assigned to them for that week, goes on that sheet. So that's step one, is I write out what they're going to be doing, and I write notes based on my experience with those pieces, or with that student, or both, obviously. So, you know, Depending on the student, beside a certain piece, I might write, remember, the key signature is G major, so all Fs are sharp. Remember this, remember that. Work in this way. I might give them practice tips, stuff like that. Just a couple of sentences. And there's plenty of space there as well, so that if I want to write more about that piece, I can. I just scribble on it during the lesson. But I have a starting point, and it saves me a ton of time during the lesson when I can focus more thoroughly on my student in front of me rather than on taking notes which I found I was would distract me a lot when I was working with just a notebook that doesn't really distract me anymore and it's easier for them to read the typed stuff than my writing and it helps me to lesson plan so I don't consider that my lesson plan there's more to it than that but laying that out helps me think forward to the lesson think about what we're going to be doing and what I want to teach them and then I'll simply write on a post-it what other activities I want to do during that lesson to cover that if I feel I need help remembering it. But it helps me think it through, helps me plan it and all the body lesson stuff, the stuff I do with two students together in their overlapping time, that also comes from what they're both working on as well as from my overall curriculum and what I want them to have covered at that stage of their studies. So that's sort of four systems to get you started. I've been going through a lot more of this type of stuff in the curriculum kickoff. That's our five-day lesson planning challenge. And as I say, if you're listening to this live, you can get in right now at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash kickoff and get the replays and all of that stuff. The main thing I want to leave you with in terms of lesson plans, though, is to do something. I know, I know we can rock up to lessons and wing it. 
and believe me, I've done it. You can just arrive and say, where were we last week? Okay, up we go. Not even know what's ahead in the method book and you'll be basically fine. But will it be good? Will it take your student where they want to go? Kind of ish, right? It won't be amazing. And it won't make you feel fulfilled as a teacher. Just a little bit of planning goes a huge way. Really, it does. And it doesn't have to be some massive undertaking. Me making my assignment sheets in advance, that takes maybe an hour for all 35 of my students, maybe two if I have to do some extra research. And that's totally worth it to me. So I want you to do something. That's what I want you to take away. Try one of those ideas. Try your own idea. Try whatever you like. But do something. And it doesn't matter if you throw it out the window during the lesson, it still will have been valuable because it will have helped you think through your goals for that student, what you want to do with them, and how you want to teach them, and the type of teacher you want to be, as grandiose as that sounds. So I hope this episode inspires you to give some kind of lesson planning a go. Uh, Next week, I'm going to share a lesson plan sample from the Piano Power Booster. So I'm going to share an actual lesson with you from the course which is inside the Vibrant Music Teaching site so that you can take it with you on the go and get a taste of what it's all about. If you want to jump right into the full course though, you can do that as a member in the video library or if you're not a member, you just sign up at vmt.ninja and you can jump into that course and get access to that fully laid out one-year curriculum for piano students. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. And I'll catch you again in episode 34. If you want access to tons of fantastic, thought-out pedagogical games, improvisation activities, and creative and inspiring courses, you need to join Vibrant Music Teaching. You can become a member and get full access to the whole site for just $19.95 per month today if you go to vmt.ninja and sign up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.